Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Songlet, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. And I'm tenor Zachary Dean Smith. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. Solid, solid, reimagining the repertoire. I am super excited about episode three because we are talking about Siegfried Wagner. And honestly, like, to think that Richard Wagner had children that were composers, mm-hmm. it makes me so excited. I want to, I want to know everything. So talk to us and tell us what happened, what do we need to know about Siegfried Wagner. (laughs) Siegfried was, well, to be frank, I think he was a little bit of a mess of a man, which coming from that family, I think it's a little hard not to be. (laughs) Um, He was the oldest son of Richard Wagner, and therefore the one uh, fit to inherit his uh, father's opera house. Bayreuth? Bayreuth. (laughs) And uh, as a result, there was a lot of, I think, expectations placed on him, a lot of pressure, um, which kind of caused him to act out quite a bit throughout his life. Had quite a few different affairs with various different ladies and men, um, which was of a greater shame to the family at the time. And um, although he was uh, constantly composing throughout his life, mostly composing uh, operas, much in the vein of his father, um, none of which saw the same level of success. Um, he also did a small bit of uh, vocal music, um, which I think was partially just a way to earn a quick buck every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> As it was for so many composers. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting to note that in order to uh, try to get him to calm down and be a more presentable member of the Wagner family, his family did at one point decide that they needed to marry him off to a woman in order to stop all these foolish flights of fancy. So they did at one point decide that uh, at 45 they should marry him off to a 17-year-old girl so that he could present, you know, heirs to the family as he was expected to do. Hello, patriarchy. Hello, hello. <laughs> this did not, of course, stop any of his uh, wanderings and his various affairs with um, uh, both men and women, which you have to imagine was quite frustrating for the family who was just desperately trying to keep their reputation intact. Uh, so his music... His operas, he was trying to sound like his father. With his songs, I think he is still also trying to sound very much like his father. Mm-hmm. One of the songs that we have picked out for today that, that Ziggy, we're <laughs> <laughs> pals like that. Well, you know, we're friends. <laughs> that Ziggy wrote is a Frühlingsglaube. And this, if you've done the Schubert song, then 
you recognize the title Frühlingsglaube and you will recognize the text, which is that Die Linden Lüfte sind erwacht. If you listen to the Schubert, there's a three against two. It's very static. It's very sensual, but it's also very thick somehow. Exactly, which in I feel like in in Ziggy's <laughs> uh, version of this, it's it's like you can hear the birds singing, and the, it's like a call and response, right? And the voice is sort of left out in the wilderness on its own, a bit more than in Schubert's uh, version of this. Then the next interesting thing is that they're both strophic, but in the first verse of Ziggy's, we're in D major, and then we move into E flat major for the second verse, but it somehow sounds lower than the D major version did. Mm -hmm. And it is slightly thicker, too, because there is more support under the voice, unlike the, the first verse, which definitely is a difference between how Schubert chose to write it versus Siegfried. piece we wanted to talk about was his Nacht am Naroch. Yes, so to start with this piece, I would encourage everyone to go read the entire poem written by his friend Gunther Holstein. The poem is very political and bloody and messy. And the reason why I want you to start reading that is because you will never believe why this piece was composed. <laughs> and so I'll just tell you is that he wrote it as a wedding gift for his friend, <laughs> the poet himself, Gunther. Uh, it's a very inappropriate wedding gift, but I'm sure. <laughs> Imagine playing that at the wedding. It's going to put a bit of a damper on things, right? Yeah. Oh I'm not sure. Whoever he got married to, I'm sure was like, what in the world? Return that gift, please. I did not register for that at the Bath and Beyond. <laughs> I have to say, with all of that, this is the piece that to me sounds like Tannhäuser. Mm. This is the one that sounds like Richard. You get this moment in the middle of it where the the chords, it honestly feels so much like uh, the moment of Da scheinest du from Tannhäuser. In, in the middle, you get this E major going to A flat. And 
It's just this crazy connection, this chord progression that just feels so Wagnerian that you cannot mistake who must have been part of this thought process. And I feel like there's a whole section following that where you get this very Wagnerian dun, 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 dun. It all just, this is the one to me that he did the best job of imitating his own father. throughout this piece. Um, it is very much a, a sung-through piece, um, and I think it's about four to five minutes long, so it's definitely an exercise that I think would be good for a lot of singers as well, um, and even some slightly younger ones to work through this slightly uh, darker piece, especially if you've got a tenor with a bigger voice. It's very operatic, both mm-hmm. in text and in composition. Mm-hmm. And since we're talking about weddings, the next song we wanted to talk about was Ein Hochzeitslied. Now, this is an appropriate wedding gift. I mean, <laughs> and honestly, all I can think every time I start playing this is, if Knuckles would ever agree to marry me, I don't know how you get a cat to walk down the aisle, but this is what I want Tony to sing at my wedding. Oh, oh, I'm so honored that you asked me on <laughs> live air. I, I will do that for you, Ellen. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost hymn-like. You know, you can almost imagine walking down the aisle and throwing some petals. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful poem, and it's a beautiful melody. Yeah, and there's a moment in here, right at the end of the first phrase, where it feels so much like Gretel's aria. Mm. When you get this whole spendet waren Glücksgewinn, there's something about that chord progression that feels like Engelbert Humperdinck. Are they connected in any way? Yes. Quite a bit like Griffiths, he also studied with uh, Humperdinck at one point and a few other composers who were in Germany, obviously, because the Wagner family was quite well connected. Well, and the one thing that we have not yet mentioned in this episode 
which was one of my mother's favorite jokes, was that although Liszt himself, the pianist Franz Liszt, never married, he was Wagner's father-in-law, which means he was Ziggy's grandfather, and apparently he was also teaching him harmony when he was a kid. Oh my lord. <laughs> so he's basically like a sponge. He's mm -hmm. listening to his father, his grandfather, <laughs> Humperdinck. Uh -huh. So his music is very much reflecting the people around him that he's influenced by. Which I have to imagine is why he had such a troubled life, with surrounded by all these massive figures in a country that was in a lot of political upheaval and very important times. I have to imagine that's part of why he was constantly going out and having wild flings. He was, you know, probably felt stifled by the expectations that were placed on him. Mm, living so, up to great expectations. I was just going to say that's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and, and when we think about Wagner, we're, we tend to think, I mean, we're thinking Richard, obviously, and we're thinking they're so far away from us, but Ziggy's dates are 1869 to 1930. Mm -hmm. We are only less than a hundred years away from Siegfried Wagner. Mm -hmm. So we're not that far. Hmm. That's so interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. His songs are all collected in an album called Zemtliche Klavierlieder. There are about 13 songs in here, and each volume actually is in a different key. So I think you can sing the different songs in different keys. Yeah, very approachable in that way. Um, it is worth noting that several of the featured uh, poets um, that he took texts from had some what we would consider less than appropriate uh, viewpoints nowadays. Um, yep. So it would be, it is worth looking at the poets and being careful about which pieces you're going to sing. But I think a lot of these pieces are very approachable for younger singers, but it will push them a little bit. Yeah, certainly if you're thinking eventually that you want to sing Wagner, if you're a young singer, this would be an easy way to get into a Wagnerian style without trying to make yourself sing Zieglinde right away. Absolutely. It's a wonderful option. Musical clips for this episode were performed by soprano Tony Marie Palmertree and pianist Ellen Rissinger and recorded at Morningstar Studios in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of each month. So Lit, Song Lit, is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Song Lit, Song Lit, reimagining the repertoire. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online, wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit.